Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Great to have you with us. And welcome to week number two. Uh, both of our campuses, we're doing a series called Concrete here in the month of September. Um, concrete. And the reason we're calling the series Concrete is because in our world, concrete is the stuff that you build on, right? It's the foundation that everything in our world is built on. And so uh, what we're doing with this series is we're asking the question, what is the concrete? What is the stuff that you build on of living a Christian life? What, what is that? What does it mean to actually be rooted uh, in Jesus and actually growing in him? And so that's what, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about basically the, the building blocks of our faith. And so last week we began with the Bible. And uh, most people say, yeah, the Bible's kind of foundational. That's kind of important to live a Christian life. Uh, but what we, the question we asked was, what do I, or how do I actually get something out of the Bible? How do I do that? How do I actually engage with Scripture and get something out of the Bible? And so what we did is we said, uh, really, in order to get something out of the Bible, you have to decide for yourself whether you believe God is actually trying to speak to you about your life and the world we live in through the Bible. And so what we did is we gave a very simple framework for reading the Bible and understanding the, uh, the framework of the Bible as a story. It's God's story about us and uh, the world we live in. And so this was it. Uh, it was creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And we simply asked the question, uh, what part of the story do you find yourself living in? What part of that story are you in? And, uh, and so that's where we began the conversation. And today, uh, we're going to talk about Jesus. And we're going to ask the question, what do I do with Jesus? What am I supposed to actually do with Jesus? Uh, how do, and how does Jesus fit into the story of Scripture? Right? Last week, we said that Jesus enters the story at the redemption point in the person of Jesus Christ to redeem and restore all things. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that today of how Jesus fits into the story and what do I do with Jesus. And in order to do that, I have to begin by talking about the connection between Jesus and professional sports. I love that you have no idea where that's going at all. Um, so uh, if you are an NBA basketball fan, uh, a question that you're probably very, very familiar with, it's just become a huge question in NBA basketball over the last several years, is the question, who is the GOAT? Right? That's the big question. Who is the GOAT? And of course, as it relates to NBA basketball, I, I'm, when, I, when you say who is the GOAT, really what we mean is who is the greatest of all time. Right? That's what GOAT stands for. Who is the greatest of all time? Who's the greatest basketball player, who, uh, NBA basketball player anyway, of all time? And the way the conversation is going right now, just to let you know, um, generally the person who has set the standard is this guy right here. MJ, right? Look at that picture. My goodness. Michael Jordan is kind of like considered to be the greatest of all time by many people. And so to anybody who would be in the conversation as the greatest of all time has to in some way be arguably as good, if not maybe better, than Michael Jordan was and, and his legacy and all that kind of stuff. And so there's all these conversations, entire websites, uh, YouTube channels, endless hours of sports commentary interviews have, have centered around the subject of who is the greatest of all time. And, and now there's even other conversations. Who is the greatest shooting guard of all time? Who is the biggest big man in the game? Who is the greatest center? You know, who, all these different positions. But generally, MJ is the bar. He's where it's set. So people ask, well, is it Kobe? There's always somebody coming up, and, and people are asking the question, well, is this person, are they going to eclipse Michael Jordan as the greatest of all time? And most recently, this guy is the person, the other person, the other player who wears number 23, LeBron James, right? And people are asking, as LeBron James is in the NBA, eventually is his legacy going to eclipse Michael Jordan? Will he be remembered in history as the greatest of all time? 
right? That's the question. And those of us who grew up in the 90s are like, oh, give me a break. Um, and now this conversation is actually carrying over uh, into other sports arenas. And so now when it comes to NFL quarterbacks, people are asking, who is the GOAT? Who is the greatest of all time? And um, people are uh, expressing their opinion on that. I think they should have put a deflated ball in his hand, not the uh, trophy, actually. Uh, but yeah, people have these opinions. Who is the greatest of all time? Who's the, and that's uh, something we consume ourselves with. And the reason I tell you that is because that's how Israel was about the Messiah. Israel, from the, t- from the moment of the fall to the moment of redemption in the framework of the story of the Bible, Israel spent its time going, who is the Messiah? Who is the one who's going to come? Who, and, and so they, they spent their time looking and watching, and someone would sort of rise up as a military leader. And again and again, this happened in the history of Israel, especially in the intertestamental time. And people would ask the question, is this the Messiah? Is this the one? Is, is this the person? And the reason they asked that question is because uh, prophecies in the Old Testament predicted that a Jewish Messiah would come. Uh, in fact, the very first prophecy that you find in the Old Testament that a Jewish Messiah was going to come, that there was going to become this redeemer who would fix it all, fix all the brokenness. The first one is found in Genesis chapter 3. Right after Adam and Eve sin, right after the fall happens, it's actually in the part of the Bible that we refer to as the curses. So it's where Adam and Eve are being um, expelled out of the Garden of Eden and the curses are happening right there. At that moment, God inserts the very first messianic prophecy that there would be a Messiah who would come and who would redeem and ransom and put it all back together again, which to me is just amazing. And so a word about those prophecies. Uh, Some Bible scholars suggest that there are more than 300 prophetic scriptures that are fulfilled in the life of Jesus, which is just it's absolutely mind-blowing to me. Um, circumstances such as uh, his birthplace, his lineage, and the method by which he was executed are all prophesied as part of those prophecies. So the, the, you know, the idea that Jesus would somehow either accidentally or intentionally fulfill all of those prophecies is absolutely just unheard of. He would have had no control over those kinds of things. And so in the life of Jesus, these prophecies are fulfilled. And so Jesus fits the bill as the Jewish Messiah and that was prophesied and that was to come. And Israel spent all their time looking for this. What's interesting, though, is when you get into the New Testament of the Bible, as you get into the Gospels and then the story of the early church, which is how the New Testament um, is structured, what you, what you realize is that the writers of the New Testament spoke about Jesus in these much more expansive terms than just his fulfillment as the bill of the Jewish Messiah. They spoke about him in these huge terms. It's almost like saying Michael Jordan wasn't just the greatest shooting guard of all time. Michael Jordan was like the greatest athlete of all time. Michael Jordan was the greatest human being that ever lived. It's like saying that. The language just grows and expands and gets even more uh, uh, expansive as it applies to the entire framework of the Bible, the entire framework of human history. Let me show you what I'm talking about. This is uh, Hebrews chapter 1. This is how the book of Hebrews in the New Testament starts. And this is a writer who was writing to a Jewish audience. So people who would have understood Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. And watch how he just expands the language talking about Jesus. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son 
whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. Just a small thing. He made the universe, you know, through him. Uh, now, what's interesting is if you read the beginning of Colossians chapter 1, which is another book in the New Testament, and also the beginning of John's gospel, John chapter 1, they both basically start out the same way and say the same thing. This idea that somehow the Christ was with God and was how everything in the universe was created. So that creation part of the story is somehow Christ was a part of that. And then uh, the Christ actually came near in the person of Jesus and manifested as a, as a human being who lived a sinless life, who offered himself in a sacrificial death on the cross. And through him, it's God's son. The Christ is God's son, and he's reconciling and redeeming everything in our world. That's, I mean, that's just, those are just huge thoughts, huge, expansive thoughts. Uh, so in order to understand what to do with Jesus, when you begin to ask, so what exactly do I do with Jesus? You have to understand the story of the Bible was all about him. It all pointed toward him at every point along the way. So in order to understand what to do with Jesus, I think we have to begin with deciding for yourself, and nobody can decide this for you, whether or not you believe that Jesus was God's son and he was who he claimed to be, that he was divine, that he came as the reconciler and the redeemer of all things. You have to decide what you believe about that yourself. Now, maybe you're here and you, you would say, you know, I'm not sure I buy that. I'm not sure I think that that's who Jesus was. I want you to know um, you are welcome here, and that's completely okay. Uh, in fact, Frontline exists for you. That's why we as a church exist, is to help people uh, come to a place of faith and come to understand who Jesus was and who he is today and who he's going to be for all of eternity. Um, but that's where you got to start. You got to start with, what do I actually believe about Jesus? See, what, what a lot of people do is they separate Jesus out from the story and the context and the claims that he made about himself. And basically, in the story of the Bible, they say, well, you know, Jesus came along, and he was a great teacher. And in fact, I'm willing to admit, Jesus was a really great teacher. In fact, Jesus may have taught the best possible way to live your life. Um, and I can accept him on those terms. But he really wasn't anything else. And really, that's not an option to accept Jesus just as a great teacher, because Jesus himself claimed to be God's son. Uh, he claimed to be divine. And he went around saying that not only that, but that he wasn't just a great teacher, but that he was the ransomer and the redeemer of all things. So you can't just, it's not really an option to say, well, Jesus is just a great teacher. Either he was who he said he was, or he's an absolute lunatic. And if you say, well, he's a lunatic, he had to have been a lunatic, then you can't also say he was a good teacher. Most lunatics I know are not very good teachers. You know what I'm saying? You wouldn't want to listen to what they have to say if they're a lunatic. It sort of disqualifies a lot of the other things they taught. So at some point, you have to decide, what do I actually believe about who Jesus was? Do I think he actually was who he said he was? Um, so if we could, I want to just say, here's how Jesus fits into the story of God. This is, this is how Scripture describes how he fits into that big picture framework of the story of God. We're going to go to a passage right now in 1 Corinthians 15. And actually, I don't think we've ever uh, looked at this actual passage in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul is writing to... Uh, a group of Christians in the city of Corinth, and he's trying to, he's doing exactly what we're doing right now. He's asking, uh, what do you do with Jesus? And he's trying to explain to them who Jesus was. 
and how he fits into the story of everything in the universe. Verse 47, uh, he describes it this way. Adam, the first man, the, the first human being was named Adam in the, in the book of Genesis, in the Old Testament. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. So what does that mean? What in the world do you do with that? How do you make sense of that? I'm going to go to the iPad right now, and I'm going to do my best to uh, draw you a picture here of what he's talking about, of exactly what Paul is talking about. For some reason, this thing is not, uh, not working, so bear with me. I'm borrowing RJ's iPad to do this. Here we go. Here we go. And so what this is basically saying is that God created the first man, and the first man was human. And so what it's saying is he was made from the dust of the earth, and the first man, Adam, he had a relationship uh, with creation, with the world that we find ourselves in. He had a relationship with other people, and then he also had a relationship with himself in terms of his own identity. He, he saw himself as being created in, in the image of God. And so what this is saying is as we know the story to be after creation, this was the picture uh, in creation but at the fall, the second part of the story, everything gets completely broken. Sin enters the world, and this picture gets completely shattered. And so what Paul is insisting is that uh, we, earthly people, are made like the earthly man. That all of us are like Adam. We all have the same sin. We all have the same brokenness. We all have a story of our own, of brokenness and sin, and we fit into this. And what's underneath this passage is the idea that what human beings have been doing from this time until our day today, throughout the entire story of the world, is human beings have been looking at other human beings in order to get a picture of what it means to be a human. So you have basically broken people looking at and comparing themselves to other broken human beings, and everybody's messed up, and basically saying, oh, that's what it means to be a human. We get our picture, our vision of what it means to be a human from broken humanity. Earthly people are like the earthly man. And that's the, that's the dilemma we find ourselves in. Uh, now, if you don't think that's true, think about our world today. Humanity, even to our time right now, is constantly giving human, humanity an image of what it means to be human. Um, so, for, for example, in our culture, if you're a man... Uh, this is an image that you're given. This is a vision of what it means to be human, right? As men, we're told, like, the Batman, right? Be strong. You know, put on this identity that's not really who you are so that everybody sees it and, and have no weakness, have no moments uh, where you look powerless, but you're powerful. Be more than what you really could be and make everybody see that. That's what we're told. That's a vision that humanity gives humans of what it means to be a man. Uh, for, for women in our culture, I would say um, you don't need to look too much further than the covers of magazines. Humanity gives women a sense of what it means to be human as a woman. And basically what women are told is that your sexuality is really all that you have to offer. And therefore you need to compare yourself to every other woman and you need to have a perfect body. You need to have a perfect face. Everything about you needs to look good. Because basically that's what you bring to the table. That's what you offer is just your sexuality. And that's humanity giving women a picture of what it means to be human. 
And in our world, we, we go even further than that with conversations about our sexuality. And so we uh, basically say in our culture that your sexual expression of identity is what it means to be who you really are. That's what it means to be fully human. And I, I just want you to know, whatever your sexual expression of identity is, that's not the fullest expression of who you really are. That's not the fullest expression of what it means to be a human being. So go ahead to the, that next slide. Um, go back to the iPad here, rather, is what we need to do. For some reason, this keeps going back out. And basically, what Jesus came to do is he came to replace this broken picture and insert himself into the conversation. And Jesus came to basically give us a new vision of what it means to be a human being. The way Jesus fits into the story is basically humanity doesn't give humanity a very good picture of what it means to be human. So if you're writing this down in your notes, scratch out the word human and put the word Jesus. Jesus comes to basically say, I'm going to live the life. I'm going to fulfill what it means to be a human being. I'm going to give humanity a picture of what it means to be human in a redeemed, restored, reconciled way. And that's the vision we're given in Jesus. Go ahead to the next slide. What we're given in Jesus, we're given a new vision of what it means to be a human being. So our picture of what does it mean to be fully who we are, we look at Jesus. What does it mean to live our lives and to be everything we can be? We look at the picture of Jesus because humanity actually doesn't offer the best view of, of who we are in Jesus. Earthly people are like the earthly man, but what it says there in 1 Corinthians 15 is that heavenly people are like the heavenly man. And just like earthly people are, just like right now we're earthly people and we're like the earthly man, the more we follow Jesus, the, we, the more we know him, and for all of eternity, we will someday, it says, be like the heavenly man. That's the goal, is to be like Jesus, to allow him to be the picture, the vision of what it means to be fully human. When I was a kid, I used to love uh, going to visit my dad at his work. Um, my dad was the manager of a credit union. And so uh, I, would, I, I used to absolutely love going to visit him whenever um, I could at his job. And the reason I love to do that is because everywhere else I went, I was just Brian. And to be honest with you, at that time in my life, uh, there were a lot of days I hated being Brian. I was a new student at a new school. It was right around middle school age. Uh, so some of you lived that experience. You know what that was like. I mean, there were days I literally, I didn't want to be me. But when I would go to visit my dad at the credit union where he was the manager, I was not Brian. I was Norm's son. My dad's name is Norm. And so the employees, they would see me and they would go, oh, that's Norm's son. I could walk back behind the counter, you know, where the employee area was, and, and I would walk by, and, they, and that was okay. I could do that because I was Norm's son. I could go into the lounge. I could open the refrigerator in the lounge, and I could eat the staff's lunches because I was Norm's son. I'm just kidding. I didn't really do that. And my favorite thing to do when I would go visit my dad at his office is I would go uh, to his, his actual office. And I love going back there. My dad had this big, huge corner office, big desk, big chair. And sometimes, like, he'd be out walking around, you know, the floor or whatever. I'd go and I'd sit in his office. I'd sit in that giant chair behind that desk. And I'd just sit there and be like, yeah, man, someday I'm going to run this like a boss. You know what I mean? Like, someday this is going to be me. Someday I'm going to be like him. And I would just sit there. The reason I could do those things 
was not because of who I was. It's because of whose I was. I was Norm's son. Did you realize that's what Jesus has done for us? He's basically come in and he's given us a whole new identity. We're not just who we are, but we belong to God the Father. We are his children. And, and, and Jesus is the image that we're kind of patterning ourselves after that we can be like. So whatever it is that you're facing right now, uh, whatever situation uh, you're, you're encountering right now, whatever challenging um, thing is happening in your world, you're not facing it as just you. You're facing it as a son of the risen king. You're facing it as a daughter of the most high God. And you are valued and you are loved. What, what that means is there are certain things that you can do, not because of who you are, but because of whose you are. There are certain places you can go. There is certain authority that you can claim. And frankly, there are some things you don't really have to put up with because of whose you are. You're a son and you're a daughter of the Most High God. Let me take this one step further, if I could. We're going to go back to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. The greatest thing that all any of us ever face, the greatest fear any of us ever have, is death itself. Hebrews 2, because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, which is what we just established, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. You know what that's saying? It's saying that Jesus became a human being, that the big fancy theological word for that is incarnation. Jesus became a human being. He became like us so that he could give us a new vision of what it means to be a human being and then so that he could deal head on with death itself and give us new life in him. I love the way Erwin McManus said it. He said, we are afraid that death is the reality and life is the illusion. Jesus came to insist that life is actually the reality and death is the illusion. That's all death can ever be. Not because of who you are, but because of whose you are. So what do we do with Jesus? Um, I think the place we have to start with Jesus is we have to be educated about who Jesus is, which is what we've been doing the last few minutes. And we have to decide for ourselves if we really believe that Jesus is who he said he was. We believe that Jesus claims about himself uh, were true, that he really is the son of God, the redeemer of everything in our world. But then from there, what do we do with Jesus? I, I think what we have to do is we have to move from Jesus' education to Jesus' imitation. We have to move from just knowing about Jesus and being educated about who he is to actually moving to Jesus' imitation. Remember, Jesus came to offer us a new vision of what it means to be a human being. And so what do we have to do? At some point, we have to move away just from, from knowing about Jesus and actually move into, have, into imitating him with our lives, to becoming like him in every single thing that we do. The big fancy theological word for this is the word discipleship. Um, you may have been around church uh, for a while. Maybe you've heard that word thrown around, discipleship, discipleship. And maybe it's a word you've kind of heard and gone, I'm not even sure what that means. Discipleship is 
what we're talking about. It's Jesus imitation. It's trying to become more like Jesus. Jesus came along, and what he did is he called 12 disciples to follow him. And the reason there were 12 is because there were 12 tribes of Israel, of God's people. And so Jesus was starting over, again, a new vision of humanity. He was starting over with a new uh, vision of, of, of humanity, 12 disciples, and those disciples began the church. And so the church is living as this new humanity right here, right now in this world. And we're offering a picture of what it means to be disciples and to live like Jesus. How, what does it mean to be a disciple? It means imitating Jesus, trying to live like he lived, trying to do what he actually did. Um, if I were, uh, you know, to kind of give you like, what is the major obstacle to this or what's the major, major challenge? Uh, a question people ask me all the time, this, I hear this constantly from people, is the question, I, I just want to have a deeper relationship with Jesus. Deeper. How can I just have a deeper relationship with Jesus? Show me that. How can I get to that? Um, if I were to say to my wife, Carrie, if I were to say, honey, I would like to have a deeper marriage with you. I want our marriage to be deeper. And so here's the deal. Here's what I did. I created an online survey for you. And it has 100 questions, and they're all questions about you, about your life, about your growing up years, what you like, what you don't like, how you feel about different things. What I'd like you to do, honey, is I'd like you to go take this online survey, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to memorize your answers. I'm going to read all your answers. I'm going to memorize them so that I know everything there is to know about you, and then we're going to have a deeper marriage. Doesn't that sound great? If I were to say that to my wife, she'd be like, what are you smoking? That's not, that's not how you have a deeper marriage with somebody. Just learning things about someone is not how you have a deeper relationship with them. Experiencing life with them is actually how you develop a deeper relationship, right? It's, it's our experiences, our shared experiences together. It's actually walking with someone that actually bonds us to them and actually deepens our relationship. Who we really are and what's really going on inside of us actually comes out as we live life with someone, as we actually experience life with them. So how do you have a deeper relationship with Jesus? By the way, if that's the question you're asking, that's an awesome question to ask. That, that means you've decided that Jesus is who he said he is, and you're wanting to grow in your faith. You're wanting to go deeper. You're wanting to, to be a disciple of Jesus. So how do you do that? How do you deepen your relationship with Jesus? Here is how the disciple John said to do it in one sentence. I love this passage. 1 John 2, 6. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Jesus' imitation. If those of us who say we are living our life in God, we want to go deeper in our relationship with God, how do we do that? We got to at some point move from Jesus' education. That's where we all start. Education is good. But then we have to move at some point to Jesus' imitation, to actually live our lives as Jesus did. As the band's coming, uh, let me explain to you how this plays itself out in my own life. Uh, two days ago, on Friday, I began my Friday the same way I do almost every Friday. Uh, I got up, I dropped my son off at school, and then I drove to an office building on the north side of Grand Rapids where there were four other men waiting for me. And uh, these four other guys, we're, all of us are husbands, all of us are fathers, uh, and all of us are actually leaders of something here in our community. And I would call that my small group. I would call these guys my small group. I've been doing life with them for a while now. And actually, when we get together, believe it or not, we actually do not help each other become better husbands. Our wives wish we did, but, but that's actually not what we do for each other. 
Uh, we don't really help each other become better fathers. It's not what we do. We, we don't even really help each other become better leaders or, or, or better, you know, career, better in our careers. What we spend our time together, every time we get together, is trying to help each other become more like Jesus. That's what we do. So we talk about our lives and we hold each other accountable in areas and we, and we ask the question, how does this uh, line up with Jesus? And we try to help each other become more like Jesus because here's the truth. Here's how spiritual transformation takes place. If you spend yourself trying to become more like Jesus and allowing God to transform you and bringing what's inside of you before him and you let others surround you and let them help you become more like Jesus. What happens is the more you become like Jesus, the more you become a better husband, the more you become a better father, the more you become a better leader. I am a better pastor. I'm a better husband. I'm a better father, not because I'm trying to become those things, because I'm trying to become more like Jesus. When you become more like Jesus, everything gets better. Everything else in life gets better when you become more like Jesus. This is why we are just obnoxious here during the month of September about putting these things on your seat and talking about it and talking about it and putting it online and making it easy for you to sign up for small groups. It's why we're so obnoxious about it. It's why the very first uh, small group on here is starting point. It's because we understand that we need to be in community with other people to help us become more like Jesus or it just doesn't happen. People who go to starting point, what they experience is they learn more about the Bible. They, they, they're educated about who Jesus is and they begin to learn from themselves who he is and, and they begin to have a better understanding of the Bible and they begin to build relationships with other people in the church that they know and they actually begin to become more like Jesus. People are in small groups. It's the point. It's why there's a women's event on Friday night is uh, so you can get together, get some time away from your kids and be together with other women so that then you can get in a small group and get around other people who will help you become more like Jesus because if you can become more like Jesus, you will be a better mom. You'll be a better wife. You'll be a better husband. You'll be a better father. You'll be a better leader. You'll be a better lawyer, whatever it is you are. Becoming like Jesus is the goal. We're going to sing a song just about Jesus and who he is. And I'd love to just offer us a prayer as we do that. Uh, and then we'll all close this out. Would you pray with me? God, we just thank you that somehow you, the Christ, were how everything in creation was made. And even at the moment of our brokenness at the fall, uh, you were there in that moment too with the first prophecy that was made about a Messiah coming. And then we recognize, God, that you came near as God's son in the person of Jesus. And you are speaking to us right now in this moment today, reconciling and redeeming all things to yourself. And so this morning, God, um, would you help us move from just knowing about you to actually moving to imitating you, to following after you, to trying to be like you in our lives, in every area, whatever identity we find ourselves in that we would just, the goal would be, the target on the wall would be just to become more and more like you. We ask this in Jesus' name.